0: I'm Major Robinson,
1: Leslie Messer, Mary Stranahan,
0: Senator Dwayne Ankeny,
1: Marcy McLean
0: in Billings, Montana, in and, and Helena, Montana, Colstrip, Montana,
1: Sydney, Montana,
0: from Arleigh, Montana, and you are listening, and you are listening, and you're listening to, and you are listening to Listen First, Listen First, Listen First, you are listening to the podcast, Listen First, Montana. Hi, this is Chantel Schiefer, President and CEO of Leadership Montana. Views and opinions shared by guests of Listen First Montana do not reflect the opinions of all of our alumni or organization. We are a large group with lots of opinions, believe me. If you hear something that
1: makes you uncomfortable, we invite you to listen deeply, listen hard, and listen first.
0: I want to see people feel valued for who they are, not what they are, but who they are, the real person inside. And if we have an opportunity as leaders in our organizations, in our communities, in our state, to make people feel valued, then I think that's the highest calling, and that's the best thing we can do.
1: Welcome to Listen First Montana, a podcast of Leadership Montana. I'm Eric Calverson. To kick off season two of Listen First Montana, we're excited to bring you my conversation with Chuck Wynn. Chuck is the assistant city manager in Bozeman, where he's been working for 37 years, making him the longest tenured city employee, and his time working for the city has included a long stint with the Bozeman fire department, where he eventually became fire chief. Chuck is a proud grandfather, father, husband, and friend, and as you'll hear in this interview, he's a big fan of children's books and the wisdom found within them. Chuck is a graduate of the 2015 Leadership Montana flagship program, the 2019 master's class where I was lucky enough to be his classmate, and he is a gracious space certified trainer. We recorded this show during the Leadership Montana Men's Forum, which offered some great jumping off points for the conversation.
0: Chuck Wynn, welcome to the podcast. Good morning, Eric. It's really great to be here.
1: It is bright and early this morning. It's 7.30. We're watching the sunrise in the Paradise Valley.
0: It's a good day. It, I don't, There's no place that I'd rather be, to be honest with you.
1: Chuck, I actually want to start um, because I've got to know you in the master's class a little bit. You're kind of always quoting like the Velveteen Rabbit or Winnie the Pooh, right? So can we just kick the pot off
0: with something from, from one of those good sources? Sure. There's a poem that I heard that uh really kind of defines the person i want to be with what we do with our lives and um it's by a poet named robert sharp and it goes something like this isn't it strange that princes and kings and clowns that caper and sawdust rings and common people like you and like me are the builders for eternity and each is given a bag of tools a shapeless mass and a book of rules and each must make ere life is flown a stumbling block or a stepping stone. And I just think about opportunities we have uh, along our paths in life to reach out a hand to pick somebody up or to use our hand to push somebody down. And uh, you know, as leaders and as leaders in Montana in this particularly difficult time, um, we have a really opportunity of a real opportunity to um, um, be the kind of people that Montana needs right now. And And Leadership Montana is a really big piece of that for me.
1: You know, I I introduced you as assistant city manager, but in previous conversations that we've had together, I asked you about who you are and you're quick to reference husband, father, friend, newly a grandpa, not assistant manager. What you do is not who you are. I wonder if you can talk about that.
0: Sure. Um, you know, growing up, I, I had an incredible career in the fire service. I worked 24 years for the Bozeman Fire Department. And as a young, a young person, that was who I was. I, th- I thought of myself as a firefighter. And then as you grow up and you get life experiences, um, different things that happen to you take on different importance in your life. And being a husband, being a father, being a friend, and now with the uh, introduction of little Theo James in the world, my daughter's son, I get to be a grandpa and in many ways get an opportunity to redo some of the things and some of the time spent um, you know, with the important things in life. And man, I just love that little dude.
1: So let's talk about how you've served Montana and the communities that you've lived in. At 20 years old, you thought you wanted to join the Billings Police Department, but ended up at the Bozeman Fire Department and became the youngest firefighter on that team at just 20 years old. And then you eventually became fire chief. Tell us about that journey.
0: Sure. Um, growing up, I admire law enforcement. I think it's—I um, always have had a heart to serve, and a heart to serve people that that really needed it the most. And and I think that's what um, we have an opportunity to do is to be to show up and to help people when they're having their worst day of their life, oftentimes. And so I think a police officer for me was was um, something that that I wanted to do. And I was going to school at Montana State University. I grew up in Billings and uh, taking uh, social and criminal justice and and, uh, opportunity came up for a opening on the fire department. And I thought, well, I'm going to take that test because I'll bet you that test is real similar to the test that I'm going to have to take to, uh, you know, get into the police department. So I took the test and I went back home to Billings. I didn't think anything about it. And uh, I get a call. And they say, hey, you did really well. Would you like a job? And as a 20-year-old kid uh, who really hadn't ventured far away from home, I, I said to the to the chief, uh, uh, I'm going to have to call you back. I need to talk to my mom. And I just <laughs> remember that as um, you know, kind of a defining moment in my life where uh, and it was time to start making decisions on my own, but I really wanted to talk to my mom about it first. So <laughs> she gave me some great advice. She said, Chucky, if you don't like it, you can always go back, and be a police officer, and so 24 years later, I retired uh, from the Bozeman Fire Department and had um, the most wonderful career there.
1: Now you're 37 years at the city of Bozeman total, which makes you the longest tenured city employee, right?
0: Yep, I do believe that's
1: correct. You mentioned helping people on one of the hardest days of their life. You, You had told me before that you sort of loved the opportunity to help people during their darkest hour. Tell me a little bit more about that, what that means to you to be that person in that moment.
0: Well, I think it's a unique opportunity and you don't have to be in the fire service or a police officer to do that. We all have an opportunity. We see need all around us. And our response to that, I think in many ways defines who we are. And, uh, there's, uh, A number of ways to get involved and make this world about a a better place and I think police and and fire do that but so does the uh, all of the other services of government I mean what a blessing to wake up in the morning turn on your faucet have fresh drinking water and then be able to watch it go down the drain knowing that it's being treated uh, you know before it it gets discharged and all of the services of local government I believe that's the closest we are to the community. And that's, that's, that's the service that local government provides. So for me, it's been an honor and a blessing to be able to work in that environment um, in, in Bozeman, Montana.
1: And you're still so drawn to service. I'm just curious, like after 24 years with the fire department, why continue working for the city?
0: I don't think it's corny or, or campy to, to um, say that, uh, that, that service is um that's what energizes me service being able to do something that makes a difference whether that's in a community in a state in a nation in the world or just in your own backyard helping a neighbor that energizes me I enjoy that and um so you know being able to do those kind of things as a volunteer firefighter as a paid firefighter in my church Whatever it is, it's something that um, that I get way more back from than I give in or give to.
1: So there are some really interesting layers to how you serve and your service. And I know that you go to Addis Ababa, Ethiopia every year, and we'll definitely get to that. But you've been working in public service for 37 years, and you've told me that over your career, you've witnessed this huge increase in polarization. And in your current role as assistant city manager, you sort of have to interact and deal with that polarization in a very real way. And you've told me that the lessons of Gracious Space and Leadership Montana have really helped you in that, but that those lessons didn't really stick at first. Can you tell us more about that?
0: So um, one of the tenants, or one one of the foundational blocks of Leadership Montana is Gracious Space. And the first time we talked about it, um, what does that even mean? This is, you know, these are just conversations going on inside of my head and, and I tried to understand it, but I didn't. And I thought it was a waste of time, quite frankly, sorry, Chantel. So instead of just giving up on it, I knew that it was important to so many people and I could see, I could see what the potential was there, but I just wasn't getting it, honestly. So I went to, um, Pat Hughes is the author of the book. And so I just went to Seattle and took a class from Pat Hughes with a lot of other people. Um, Nobody from Montana, but just a lot of interesting people from the Seattle area. And it was like, oh, an epiphany, like a real epiphany. I understand it now. There's a quote, Eric, that, that really epitomizes gracious space to me. And it's from Abraham Lincoln, right? The guy is, I mean, he's... What an amazing human, and I hope someday I get to meet him. But the idea (laughs) is that um, um, he said, I do not like that man. I must get to know him. And that, like, changed my world in the sense that I'm, like a lot of other people, I want to hang around with people I like. I want to hang around with people who are like me. But I know that my growth and um, kind of life-changing things only happen when you get out of that comfort zone and you invite Somebody else, some other um, different opinion, some other different viewpoint, some other different person into the conversation um, and really embrace that and really find out why what that person thinks, why they think that, how they come to think that and it changes it changes the world, it changes your life, it changes their lives when you can really do that and that's what gracious space is all about. So now instead of like running from people ideas thoughts that are different than the ones I hold I try to lean into that and I try to go to them and I try to learn their stories because we all have stories and when you find out what somebody else's story is you really get to figure out and learn who they are and man we are all humans with all different kinds of stories that we're just dying to tell the world and and that's what gracious space is for me I think about it as a container, a container, Gracious Space is a container to allow these really difficult, messy conversations to happen in a way that is productive. And it doesn't mean everything's going to be all right. It doesn't mean that, that everything will go perfect all the time but what it means is that you can really get down to the important issues in a way that includes all voices.
1: I'm just so curious about that juncture though where you were looking at your experience with Gracious Space and said this has been kind of wooey and I just haven't, haven't really gotten it and yet you decided to lean in and go to Seattle for a training. I mean I think most people wouldn't make that choice, right? They would just drop it and say, this has not been a value add for me. So what was it that compelled you to go? There must've been something
0: calling. Sure. I was um, dealing with this one particularly contentious issue in our community and, and we're trying to figure out how to, how to kind of work through it in a consensus sort of way. And so I asked my boss at the time, I said, um, who should we get together to talk about this? And, and, um, Dennis Taylor, he told me, Chuck, think of who you least want there and make that your first call. And it was like, wow, no way. <laughs> and it's like, yes way. And, and that's the leaning into the things that are hard and that are, are difficult. Um, and, you know, when you say it here, it sounds so easy. It's so much, it's so much more difficult to do. But it is one of the most important things that a leader can do is to embrace those difficult converse- conversations, embrace those difficult people in our life, and bring them in, bring them in. And that's what Gracious Space is all about. You know, I'm I'm on this unapologetic quest for the middle. I want to find the middle ground. That's what I'm looking for these days. And, uh, you know, it's not always... In order to find the middle, you have to have people on it both sides that are willing to let go for a minute, get to know each other, look for areas where you're the same instead of pointing out the areas where you're different. And uh, you can get a lot of different places if two people or two sides or groups are willing to do that.
1: Is it is it the middle you're looking for, Chuck, wherever it is? Or are you looking for, is it better maybe to say you're looking for a space where opportunity lives for all people. Like, I wonder if you can play. I mean, you've told me before. You told me just a few days ago. You said you have a genuine hope that tomorrow will be better. You have faith and a belief that tomorrow can and will be better. So I wonder what that means to you in the in the context of this conversation.
0: Yeah, I think it's pretty sad when people say, you can't change the world. I believe we can change the world. First, by changing our little part of it. And every day we have an opportunity to do that. And, um, you know, even a word like justice means different things to different people. Mm-hmm. And we have a hard time agreeing on these terms because what this person over here says, I want justice, which is the exact opposite of what the person on the other side thinks justice is. So when I say the middle, um, you know, a tool that I use a lot when we do these kinds of um, things that uh, 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 try to find compromise are word clouds. And so if you start a conversation by um, what does this mean to you, this particular item, whatever it is, what does this, what does this mean to you? Or what do you value about this particular um, topic or this particular conversation? And then you write these down and you realize when you put them together in a word cloud that we're more alike than we're different. Hmm. We all want a better world for, uh, you know, our children. We all want better, more authentic r- relationships. Now there are a few bad actors out there who really don't want that, but but the the people I know and and the Montanans I know, that's what they really want. And so if you can agree that you have a lot in common to start the conversation, you've already made a little movement toward a compromise. And a collaboration toward that's the middle I'm looking for. Not compromise on your values or belief, but a embracing our commonality and embracing the va- the shared values that we have.
1: So, do you think you were sort of um, prior to Leadership Montana and your training in Gracious Space? Do you think in your work in the city you were you were Looking for that, even trying to work towards that, but maybe you were just like sort of in a boat without oars, and then you came to Leadership Montana. And you're like, oh, this would be, this would be easier if I had something to paddle with.
0: Yeah, um, I've been fortunate to have a number of great mentors in my life, mm-hmm. so at least I was in a boat, to use your analogy. Um, maybe I'm paddling in a circle, but I think for me, Leadership Montana was the rudder that 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 I could use to steer more precisely uh, these efforts to build consensus, to build commonality, to build and embrace a set of shared values.
1: Chuck, I'd like to go back a bit and ask you about your school years and your early years in the fire department, you were kind enough to share with me that you started at the fire department or when you started at the fire department, you could hardly answer the phone because um, you had a stutter and a stammer and that those years were really hard for you. Would you be willing to talk a bit more about that?
0: So things happen in our lives and they either define us or uh, we, we overcome them. And one of the most difficult. It's even still hard for me to talk about, but in Mm -hmm. junior high and high school and college, I stuttered and it was, um, embarrassing and it, I was ashamed of it. And it like eroded to almost nothing. My self-confidence because you couldn't communicate in a way. And and I remember one day and I don't even know why they hired me when I had this thing, I guess I hit it so well. Um, but I was trying to answer the phone and have this conversation about, with this, with this person. And I, and I couldn't say the word five F's were particularly hard for me. And, um, it was embarrassing and I felt ashamed and I thought about quitting and I didn't. And I don't know why, I guess it was my mom, uh, who just had a undying and unconditional love for me and she wanted to see me succeed. But, um, I overcame that and, um, that was a really big deal and even to this day when i think about it 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 uh it just takes me right back to how i felt there but it did not define who, that chuck the stutterer wasn't wasn't who i was and um but that you know i things happened to me where uh, um i i get knocked down off the pedestal A lot, which for me is good, because the pedestal is not a place to live your life. And these kind of quiet opportunities we have to work in the background and make things happen and support people and support things that are important to us, that's where I find happiness and where I find self-fulfillment. And that's why I go to Africa. I've been to Ethiopia three times and we work with this incredible group called Elevate Orphan. And there are millions of orphans in Ethiopia and they don't really have a shot. Um, We've even been to the orphanages and seen the horrible conditions there. But what Elevate Orphan does is it takes um, orphans, about eight of them, and it takes two widows. And being an orphan and a widow in Ethiopia are two economically and socially disadvantaged groups. So it takes those and it creates these forever families. And there's eight kids who didn't know each other just a few months before, and it turns them into forever families. And they support these homes and these families. They rent a home for them. They send the kids to to school. And in Ethiopia, if you want to um, Uh, have a chance at a better life in the country you need to learn English and these secondary schools are taught in English so we go there and uh, have conversational English um, and write on the on the blackboards and we just spend this incredible time together with these kids and it just gets me out of my you know if I ever have a pity party I just think about what um, what's going on in the world around us and uh, that's just an incredible opportunity for me to get out of myself and go and um, see what's really going on in the rest of the world and you know it's hard eric in a way to look out this this window and see this beautiful sunrise and these mountains and the lakes and it's not something to be ashamed with but it is a gift and always remember and never forget that um, this is a gift and we're a privileged people and we need to uh, i need to remember that
1: Chuck, you're a man of many fun quotes, but I think my favorite that you often say is, it's not the world according to Chuck. What do you mean when you say that?
0: I've hoped I'd never been arrogant or conceited, although I know I probably have been. Uh, I try really hard to understand now that um, just because I think something's one way doesn't mean that it is, or because I want something to happen A certain way, it doesn't mean it has to, or even that's the best way. And so I think there is so much to be gained from genuinely, genuinely embracing um, the other, the um, differences, other people, other thoughts, and to help either, right? One of two things is going to happen. Either that'll confirm what, what you believe or what you do is right, or it will help show you that maybe it's not right. And, uh, I don't want to do something that's, that's destructive or harmful to another human being or to, you know, even myself. And so this, this idea that, yeah, it's not all about me. Um, (laughs) I need to tell myself that all the time. I think maybe others do too, but, but, um, you know, I'm focusing on myself and looking at my own warts, you know, the guy that talks about, you know, what do you see when you pick up the rock in the river, right? Beautiful river, beautiful rock, but underneath it's all these squirrely, squealy, you know, buggy things, right? And that's, that's that they're there and they make the river um, uh, uh, come to life, but man, you don't like looking at that stuff. And I think that's true when I open up myself and look what's in my life. And, and uh, I would just say, Eric, that I'm a work in progress, I think we all are a work in progress, and I don't think I've arrived yet, and I can stop working on me. <laughs> There's a lot of work to do um, and and uh you know, but hey, it's all part of um, it's all part of life.
1: I want to follow up on that question and ask, is is humility a core value for you?
0: Well, that's a great question. If I said humility is a core value for me, wouldn't I be a little arrogant? I think in the sense that that um, <laughs> humility is important to me. Um, (laughs) but I definitely don't have it figured out and I have not mastered it, but yes, it's, it's, it's one of the most important things.
1: I do have a workaround for your humility comment, which is that humility is not one of my four, five core values either, but curiosity is. And I think that curiosity is like the verb form of humility. It's how we operationalize humility. Would you say you feel the same?
0: Okay, that now that's that's a totally cool way to look at it. I've always thought that I've never wanted to be one of those person that like wore their core values like a T-shirt, right? Like, like <laughs> I care about this and I care about that and this is important to me. And then the first thing people do is say, "Well, you're not acting like that. Why are you out there, you know, espousing this 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 value or this thing that's important to you?" I try harder to live those values than to say those values. Now I probably say them inside of my head, but Yeah, I don't want, I mean, I don't have them posted on my office wall or, because then I just think it draws attention to the, to the wrong thing. And I would rather have people see how I act and to see what I do rather than hear me say it.
1: I really love that, and it brings something up for me, which was yesterday we did an exercise um, where there's this one-inch-by-one-inch one square on a piece of paper. Oh, wow, yeah. And the exercise for the audience was, um, you. who are the opinions that you really care about? And um, you should be able to write the initials of that group of people inside this one-inch-by-one-inch one square. So it really, it really did force us to really distill who are these most essential, who's our small council, essentially, in our lives. And I find that to be a really thought-provoking and uh, emotional exercise for me. And additionally, Leonard stops everybody and he said, and the next question is, do these people know who they are? And you tapped me on the shoulder. You patted me on the shoulder because that sort of hit me like a ton of bricks. And I'll tell you the reason it hit me like a ton of bricks, Chuck, is I do think there are some things that are better done than said, like core values. But there are some things that we have to name, we have to say in the world. And one of those things to me is telling people in our lives what they mean to us. And um, I just wonder, like, in your journey as a father and a friend, is that a part of your way of connecting with the people that you love most is making sure you say out loud things like that.
0: Yeah. I, in my family growing up, um, my mom would tell me that she loved me all the time and my dad would too. And my brothers and my sisters and, um, My grandma, I miss my grandma so much. My grandma gave me advice all the time and I only am starting to understand it now. But one of the things she said to me, Chuck, I got two pieces of advice for you. Don't run downhill with your hands in your pockets and pick your heroes carefully. And when I think about heroes in my life, I'm thinking about the people that have taught me the most, the people that are closest to me. And, um, those are the people that I would, I would write down in that square and, um, I think about some other advice. I got a lot of advice in my life. <laughs> it's a good thing because I, I need it. But, um, you know, somebody once told me, um, never base your happiness on something that can be taken away from you. And so I, th- I think about that as, you know, what I base my happiness or my value or my self-worth on. And that's a really interesting exercise to go through. And if it's the size of your bank account, If it's what house you live in or what kind of car you drive, that's okay if that works for you. But for me, it's about the relationships I have and the people that are most close to me. And um, those are the things that I value the most in this world.
1: Chuck, I'd like to invite guests, um, To tell a story any story of their choosing from their own life do you have a story that you'd like to share
0: all the bumps and bruises that we have uh, along our path make us who we are and they either define us or we overcome them and uh, for me growing up with a stutter and a stammer and a redhead kid and acne and the whole bit and I was not in a really great place growing up. And um, my mom had this, um, had this picture frame. And in it, um, it had a quote from the Velveteen Rabbit. And to me, that's a story that I tell myself a lot. And it's about, it's about being real. And so, there's so much phoniness in our world right now. But the story goes something like this and it's a, it's a rabbit and a toy horse and they're talking and I read a lot of children's books because I really don't understand big people's books, (laughs) but there, there's a lot of wisdom in children's books and, um, this, this toy horse and this toy rabbit are talking and, and, um, the rabbit asks the horse, what is real? You know, what is real? Is real mean having things that buzz inside of you and a stick out handle Real isn't how you were made, said the skin horse. It's a thing that happens to you. When a child loves you, not just to play with, but really loves you, then you become real. Does it hurt? Asked the rabbit. Sometimes, said the skin horse, for he was always truthful. That's why it doesn't happen to those with sharp edges or have to be carefully kept. Does it happen all at once, like being wound up? It doesn't happen all at once. You become. Generally, by the time you were real, most of your hair has been loved off, and your eyes drop out, and you get loose in the joints, and you look very shabby. But these things don't matter at all, because once you were real, you can never be ugly, except to those who don't understand. And I think about um, people in the world today, and how they don't feel valued, and how their opinions don't matter. And that's that's the big thing that I want to see turn around Eric, I want to see people feel valued for who they are, not what they are, but who they are, the real person inside. And if we have an opportunity as leaders in our organizations, in our communities, in our state, to make people feel valued, then I think that's the highest calling and that's the best thing we can do.
1: Who made you feel valued and heard?
0: Yeah, my mom. Um, I miss her, both of my parents died uh, unexpectedly within two years of each other and they were my North Star for really my whole life and to lose them uh, is tough and I it, 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 even though it happened you know geez 12 years ago now um, it is still hard to think about that but you know rather than let that beat you down think about what they meant to me and how I can mean that to somebody else to my children or my family And hopefully in some small way, I'm doing that now. Can I ask you about being that
1: person to your kids and making other people feel valued and heard as it relates to your own happiness? This is something that you and I have talked about before. I guess I'm wondering, is the goal for you happiness or is the goal to do these meaningful things to impact other people and happiness is sort of a natural byproduct?
0: I think some of the most unhappy people are the ones who are trying to be happy you know, they live for happiness. And I think that's an elusive goal. At least it is for me. I don't, you're happy when you do the right things for the right reason at the right time. That's my core goal is to try to do those things. Happiness will be a result of that.
1: Is this like the Winnie the Pooh? It's not the other side of the forest. It's the forest.
0: Yeah. You know, and, and, I also have on my wall that a map of the Hundred Acre Woods, right? And we were in the Master's class together and and oh my gosh, Winnie the Pooh and Tigger. And then you got Piglet in there and I'm kind of a Piglet sort of guy, but Winnie goes through these through all of these places in the Hundred Acre Woods, you know, the dark, scary area and the beehive and the the sad place with Eeyore and comes out the other side and that's and that's life. All those things are going to happen to us and Um, if, if we enjoy every day, our lives are made up of moments. And if we can embrace those moments and learn from them or live and laugh through them at the end of the day, when we finish our journey, we're going to be better people.
1: And let's just stick on the Winnie the Pooh. I think when I hear you say, I want people to know that they're worthy of love. Like we watched Brene Brown talk about yesterday that people, deserve a sense of belonging in our world right is the tigger quote the wonderful thing about tiggers is tiggers "Tiggers are wonderful things
0: things. yep their tops are made of rubber their tails are made of springs they're bouncy trouncy flouncy pouncy full of fun 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 but the most wonderful thing about tiggers is i'm the only one i'm the only one and isn't right We're, we're we're individuals and tigger was goofy but we're goofy too and you know his he's bouncing around and he's hitting his head and he's just going all over the place, but he's authentic. He's real. And so are we, and don't hide, don't hide our warts and, and, and our shames and our scars, you know, embrace them and remember, remember what we went through to get those. And, uh, uh we're going to be, we're going to be in a better place. Chuck, last
1: question before we go to the speed round. What is something you care about deeply that we haven't talked about on this podcast?
0: Well, we've talked about a lot on this podcast. Um,
1: mostly children's books.
0: Mostly children's books. The ones I understand. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I, I, this, this is going to sound kind of corny, but I care about Montana. I do. I love the state more so than the beautiful mountains and the lakes and the prairies. It are the people. And um, Leadership Montana, right? You get to go across Montana and you immerse yourself in a particular community uh, for three days. And the things I've learned doing that, I ride motorcycles for my, um, that's where I can shut down and recharge and turn off my brain in a sense that it's you and the bike and the road. And... Um, I do some of my best thinking riding a motorcycle, but when you go out and, you know, you take the back roads of Montana, it's one of my favorite TV shows too. And we got to meet William Marcus, who's now retiring. But the idea is that, um, you don't learn about something by reading a book as well as when you go out and you experience it. And I think Montana is a special place and learning most about it and learning how to play a part in it, not change something the way that we think it should be, but actually understanding the way that it is and why it's that way uh, to me is, is one of my favorite things about Leadership Montana.
1: Okay, you ready for the Lightning round? Yeah, probably not, but go ahead. Your favorite thing about being a grandpa?
0: Little smiles.
1: If you could change one thing about Montana, what would that be?
0: I would want us to be more collaborative and more understanding of each other.
1: If you could spend a full day doing anything, what would that
0: be? Riding my motorcycles across the plains of eastern Montana.
1: Name one of your core values for me.
0: Family. What does it mean to you? It means the people that are most important to you. Do you have chosen family? Oh, definitely. You know, Eric, I don't have, like, it's never been important to me to have a lot of friends. Right? I don't e- I'm don't. i not even on Facebook. What's important to me is have real friends. And I'd rather have five real important friends than 50 acquaintances. And so, when I think about who's important in my life and who I think about family, I think of, you know, in the, the chosen family it's it it's some of my best friends because mm-hmm. you can have them over to your house and they're family. What do you guys do when you get together
1: with your friends at your house? We play in board games. What's that look like?
0: It's probably a personality defect. I do not like games. What? It's horrible. Like all I hear about these family <laughs> gatherings. You know, we get together for Thanksgiving and we play card games or Monopoly or whatever. <laughs> I. Do. It's just not my jam, I'll be honest with you. That's a hot
1: take because when I was trying to get to know my future in-laws, I was like, okay, games are a nice vehicle because they keep the conversation going, right? It's like, we could chew up four hours of this Christmas (laughs) vacation. And you're
0: bonding, right? Because you're doing a thing, but you're out on games. I'm out on games. I'll sit (laughs) and I'll watch the dynamics. But man, I don't like waiting for my turn. (laughs) It's a funny thing that,
1: that... children's books you're all the way in on you're the most in on that person i've ever <laughs> known but then games which one would say is kind of child's play right you're it's just a no-go for you
0: i tell you what i will read good night good night construction site 40 times rather than play one game of life or monopoly oh my gosh
1: Well, you got to give some better games, man. Life (laughs) and Monopoly, that's bottom of the barrel. Chutes and Ladders, (laughs) Canasta, I don't know what they are. Okay, how about a TV
0: or a movie recommendation? It's got to be Ted Lasso. Ted Lasso. It's got to be. I mean, what an amazing show. Book recommendation? Uh, I'm reading The Splendid and the Vile right now. Hmm. It's about Winston Churchill um, during World War II. Uh, Amazing.
1: What's a habit? Or a routine that you've developed that's improved your life?
0: I started running again. Mm. And uh, I used to run. And then I gave up. And um, I started again. And it's been it's been really great.
1: Okay, tell me about your favorite food. You could have one meal.
0: All right, this is going to really tell you who I am. It would be meatloaf and mashed potatoes. Heck yeah. Oh, my gosh. With uh, peas. So my... Wife tells me I'm going to fit right in at the nursing home because I'm already (laughs) loving that right now. Bring it on. I'm ready.
1: Tell me about the funnest adventure you've been on recently. Most fun
0: adventure. Oh, so um, yeah, it was a uh, adventure motorcycle ride. So they're the big off-road bikes um, down in Nevada and Southern California. And uh, we got to go through these places that I'd read about in books, gold ghost towns, Cerro Gordo. If you watch YouTube, got to drive up there and Goldfield and Tonopah. And it was just like a, um, uh, a trip back in time. Um, and yeah, I loved it. What's your definition of leadership? Doing the right thing at the right time for the right reasons.
1: Chuck Wynn. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast.
0: Eric. Thanks for having me, man.
1: That wraps up this first episode of Season 2 of Listen First, Montana. Thanks to Chuck Wynn for taking the time to come on the show. And thanks to you for listening in. If you've enjoyed the show and would like to support Listen First, Montana, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on whatever platform you use to listen. Those small steps can really help us connect these stories to more listeners. Our intro song is a rendition of the Montana State song by Scott Gudger, And our other music is from Blue Dot Sessions. We'll see you in two weeks with our next episode. Until then, I'm Eric Halverson, and thanks for listening to Listen First, Montana.
0: Would you be willing to talk a bit more about
1: that? Chuck, you're a man of fun quotes, but I think my... Chuck, you're a man of many fun quotes, but I think my favorite that you often say is, it's not the world according to Chuck. What do you mean when you say that? Can I ask you about being that person to your kids and making other people feel valued and heard as it relates to your own happiness?
0: Welcome to Listen First Montana, a podcast
1: of Leadership Montana. I'm Eric Halverson. To kick off season two of Listen First Montana, we're excited to bring you my conversation with Chuck Wynn. Chuck is the assistant city manager in Bozeman, where he has been working for 37 years, making him the longest tenured city employee. He started his work in Bozeman on the Bozeman fire department and eventually rose to the rank of fire chief. He's a proud grandfather, father, husband, and friend. And as you'll hear in this interview, he's a big fan. Welcome to Listen First Montana, a podcast of Leadership Montana. I'm Eric Halverson. To kick off season two of Listen First Montana, we're excited to bring you my conversation with Chuck Wynn. Chuck is the assistant city manager in Bozeman, where he's been working for 37 years, making him the longest tenured city employee. He started his work off in Bozeman He started his work in Bozeman on the Bozeman Fire Department and eventually rose to the rank of Fire Chief before going to work. To kick off, welcome to Listen First Montana, a podcast of Leadership Montana. I'm Eric Halverson. To kick off Season 2 of Listen First Montana, we're excited to bring you my conversation with Chuck Wynn. Chuck is the Assistant City Manager in Bozeman Where he's been working for 37 years, making him the longest tenured city employee. His time at this, his time at his time working for the city of Bozeman, has included starting off at just 20 years old as a fire as a